Hi, welcome to My Gaming Academia, a podcast where we discuss gaming as it relates to psychology and sociology. My name is Reza, aka Sprint Speed. I'm Javon, aka J Stoney. And I'm Eric, aka Hysteric. This is episode 22, season 3, baby. We made it. Why are you so loud? <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm excited, you know? It's season 3, My Gaming Academia mm-hmm. Rewind. Mm hmm. Uh, it has been a couple of years, I guess, since we started this. So uh, it's been uh, like a little, uh, little under two, little yeah, under a little two. under two. Yeah. yeah, all right, almost a couple of years. We look, we started this what twenty twenty mm-hmm. years. Yeah, ago? Yeah, the first was loaded May twenty twenty. Yeah, a- all April, right. April twenty twenty. Oh, yeah. we're approaching. It's on the horizon. Mm-hmm. So exciting times! First episode of the new year. We all collectively thought it would be fun to kind of, and useful hopefully, to kind of go back, rewind through some of the concepts that we've touched previously, and hit a lot of what we thought might have been most important, most insightful, maybe get some takes on if we have any additional thoughts uh, as time has progressed, since it has been a couple of years, oh sorry, almost a couple of years at this point, but all in all, uh, Pretty exciting that things have come this far. Yeah, and hopefully, like, we kind of also hope to, like, reflect on this, you know, experience and what we've discussed before. It's also kind of think about how we're going to go about moving forward. Like, what other topics do we want to explore? What areas maybe we want to expand on that we maybe touched on already? Things like that. Things that we didn't think about in the first place when we first started doing some of these things and then... Uh, or when we first wanted to even address certain topics. And then as we, you know, either did our own research or, you know, had certain guests enlighten us or, you know, this and that and the third, that mm-hmm. we take more time to consider more thoughtfully and more thoroughly at times. Yeah, we can get the juiciest bits and get some extra flavoring on each of those <laughs> so that hopefully uh, we're going to be able to cover a bunch of different topics, get some cool new info out uh Rosa, why do you have to go and say that now we're gonna lose viewers <laughs> <laughs> what get some juicy bits <laughs> well, look it's it's 7 p.m i'm getting hungry okay we gotta <laughs> you want to get chipotle <laughs> <laughs> i would be possibly down for chipotle right, we'll, listen, get, we'll get it after this session. discussion we can have uh, uh, post post recording um <laughs> uh, all I'm saying is viewers, not the viewers, the listeners are going to be getting the juiciest tidbits that we got to offer so far and uh, maybe a preview of what's to come. Not that I know really what, uh, not that I have any idea. Of In that, their second but... round of Costco free samples. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you got to go back around for the second the second round of samples is key. All right. You can, you can have a whole ass lunch there. <laughs> <laughs> Dang. All right. Anyways, starting starting things back, I think it's important as we kind of contextualize a lot of the information we talk about, whenever we bring up topics, we are reading information from studies and things like that. You're mainly talking about kind of the stuff that we brought up in the uh, very, very early on back in mm-hmm. 2020 with uh, episode two with researching. And in a way, I feel like that was a dull topic to start on looking back, but it's also kind of one of those like pain up front first things because it's a very important topic, I feel, because when we try to approach these things from, you know, a slightly academic point of view, people don't usually see games as academic or anything. And so 
when we're trying to say like, mm-hmm. hey, video games very much have a form of academy to them or are applicable, you know, or you can see various academic concepts applied in video games. Everything is connected in that kind of sense. It's like, it's important to address the point of the literature that is done that way because academics have a very set way that they, you know, write things, that the information is communicated, et cetera. And as we kind of, I think one of the big things that we brought up in that episode that I think was a big point for me and why I thought that episode was important was that a lot of the media tends to take the information in a certain way and then just like jarble it however it needs to be to fit their story as opposed to, you know, maybe just trying to like look at that information yourself and try to understand it, how it was written you know, rather than just taking the yeah. spark notes from someone else. Yeah, I think one of the key takeaways I always felt, and I hope we iterated well in that episode, episode two, was that whenever you're hearing information, whether it be from us on the podcast, whether you're reading stuff, whether you're hearing on social media, always like double check that that resource, that source, like you mentioned, what are how are things being framed, academic institutions even though those are generally uh, more impartial than a lot of uh, than a lot of other sources that might be more opinionated, there's still things like, hey, is uh, an institution being funded by a certain group, or is there something that the researcher has to gain by producing a certain narrative? And that doesn't mean that you shouldn't trust anything, uh, but it just means like be aware of the possibility of that. So if you're if you're somebody that's like maybe. Uh, somebody on social media, you have a lot to gain by posting something framed in a way that's most controversial because like, you'll get a lot of engagement, a lot of discussion around that. But if you're doing something where you are trying to get to the like truth of a matter for like a research thesis, usually that can tend to be more reliable in terms of like getting the science accurate is more important for those organizations than trying to... Um, get then trying to just get the headline and headlines might come later but sourcing everything is super important um and it's okay if there are certain biases as long as you like are aware of them and you can know how to approach a variety of spaces and kind of take in multiple sources of information to kind of find where that middle ground lies trust but don't trust blindly basically (laughs) yeah for sure um for me in episode two we we talked about um my um my research and the fgc um and i thought that was i mean i'm glad that i had that experience i'm glad that i was able to share that on the podcast in like listening through right we were talking about with covid being like the 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 thing that just inundated our lives um and it was still brand spanking new uh for us to go through and and experience one of the things that we mentioned was how for those that interact in online spaces a lot like gamers it wasn't so much like maybe jarring to have a physical i mean a social kind of like distance from each other maybe the physical nature like actually viewing and in, 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 well not viewing but being next to someone else uh was like the difference but in terms of like an actual social uh engagement with someone else mm-hmm. through online communication well i mean we were already doing that when things were quote unquote normal 
right? And so being told that you can't go anywhere, it was only jarring because, okay, we can't like go to certain places with, you know, our friends, or family in the same space for some time. And yet here are these like other online communication tools that I was already accustomed to and already using. So therefore I'm not necessarily doing anything or getting adjusted or acclimating to something new when I'm doing something in isolation. Cause it's like, I'm not like, I'm, I'm just using these online communications that I've already been uh, accustomed to beforehand. Yeah. And one of the things that we were thinking through is like, okay, will this kind of like, how does this, you know, in some ways, and when it gets to like researching in particularly, right, with FGC tournament being so, how do you say, culturally, I would say it's, there's an importance to playing games physically, like being at tournaments, right, proving uh, that you're the best around not just an online warrior, right? Like you have to prove yourself and like your local attorneys. And then of course, Evo is a very important one among many. Mm-hmm. Um, but then of course, COVID kind of like, <laughs> like, like forced people to go back into the drudgery of like online play <laughs> because there are certain uh-huh. games um, that Especially just, in F- the FTC, that is real rough. <laughs> right. Like there are just certain games that are just like, I mean, you know, not to pick on any one game, but Dragon Ball Fighters, right? Like that game. Just, <laughs> not to pick like on any one, then you immediately name one. But I mean, you know, you like wrong, starting though? off playing like two frames behind, you're just like, okay, I can do it uh, two frames yeah. behind. But I've played games where it's just like, all right, we are now minus 17 frames. I'm like seeing <laughs> Goku go from half the screen to now the right side of my screen and then the left screen. And I'm like, you're using teleport, right? He's like, no, I'm not using teleport. That's just the light of the game. <laughs> It's just like oh damn God. right and, and so i thought that was an interesting um thing that we n- noted and i would love to know yeah, from current three. fgc esports players what their experiences have been like still playing you know in fighting games but going and being in some ways forced right to keep up their their skill set only through online right like how did the industry respond to that in terms of how did the game developers who know that they have shitty codexes (laughs) how did they alleviate like those situations if they ever did and how did esports players navigate um that kind of uh new not even new form of play but that form of play that they would rather not engage as much right um yeah, and we talked a lot about that in episode three at the beginning of the pandemic. So it's interesting how, I mean, I'm not going to put myself out here to be blasted on the internet <laughs> saying that we're near the end of the pandemic. But now that it has been a, a long time since then, it's interesting to see how like things are still going on, even though, like you mentioned, it is all online, not ideal. There have been some in-person tournaments, um, mm-hmm. but... Do you, Javon, I'm curious, do you think that at this point things are going to return at like seamlessly to being in person? Because when the pandemic first hit, a lot of it was like, all right, let's cancel for a couple months. Mm -hmm. Maybe Eve, oh man, Evo's getting canceled. That's big. But, you know, maybe by end of August, things will clear up. Right. And obviously that has not been the case. Do you think there's going to be a pretty clean transition back into that physical play? Um. No, you're going to have some folks who will feel comfortable going into spaces with large gatherings if 
everyone is, you know, vaccinated recently, probably had like a negative COVID test and, and all that stuff. But I think what's going to happen is if people, you have to gain, like people have to feel safe in the, in these spaces. Right. Um, and if you're going to do a, a tournament, I think, yeah, there's the, the person that wants to attend, there's the esports player that wants to attend. They have the responsibility of making sure that they're, you know, like masked up and, and all that stuff. But of course, it also comes down to the rules and regulations of the tournament organizers, right? Like, what are the rules that they're going to put in place? Are they just going to say, all right, yeah, anyone can compete, just sign your name up and then that's that's right. it like we now have to be more cognizant about public health now uh in the fgc and of course broadly so how do we think about i think that's even a good topic like public health um in the game community <laughs> maybe um, spoilers for right right spoilers <laughs> uh, but like, seriously like if i'm a one to compete at a tournament and it's physical. Yeah, I'm excited. I'm pumped. But it's just like, okay, I'm thinking about how many people are going to be there. Do they will they be keeping track of people? Like these are considerations. I mean, vaccinations. Like these are considerations that I think not, maybe not all, but some people have to think about. And of course, immunocompromised folks or, or folks that you know, like just being in, uh, just being like like the increasing the chances of you like d- getting mm-hmm. something. You know. Especially yeah, if your health is already in some ways, you know, compromised in some ways. Like, where do those people f- fit in? Like, are, are these physical tournaments just going to be literally a thing of the past for them uh, for even longer time? Right. Like, yeah, like maybe there'll be a day where like COVID gets to a point where it's just like, okay, it's like, I would say manageable, not eradicated, but like manageable. Right. Like, you're, like one will, someone will feel comfortable in mass like an evo be willing to go and you know like play in person i think these are considerations um that are going to happen more and more so right like i don't I have no idea if evo is going to be in person for 2022 but if they are i mean i'm sure there's still going to be a whole bunch of people showing up but like there's no way <laughs> I mean, there is a way, but I'm thinking, yeah, just, it, it is you know, a complicated road still from here on out. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So a clean suggestion, that's not going to, I can't see that happening. But I think that's also discussing primarily from like a competitor point of view, right? Because mm-hmm. you know, part of the whole experience is also like the viewership. Uh, I know, like, I think things like league where the competitors are able to get on a big enough stage where they can stay mostly apart and etc and the people they're only with are their teammates who they've been in the same house with or whatever then like they're mostly keeping their distance and they are able to compete and there's it's able to be like a streamed spectacle which is mainly where something like you know the lpl or like uh you know lcs and things like that get broadcasted to it's not very many live showings usually it isn't until like the big world stuff but even then like again the conversation i feel has been more about the in terms of the competitive scene like how those will not go it's more in the sense of like for the competitors but what about like you know the viewership scene in the competitive side i think that's something to potentially explore as well because like you all mentioned we basically went over the day-to-day people's kinds of things but like yeah how's it going to be looking forward for like uh in-person interactions like moving forward especially in the space of like competitions you know that's something we never really yeah dove deep on before mm-hmm. 
Yeah, and hopefully through a lot of um, whatever continues to come, a lot of the communities can just be supportive of each other and uh, be pro-social, which kind of ties into another one of the episodes that I think uh, touched a really important topic, episode seven, which was toxicity in video games and um, in interactions with your fellow peers. Part of what we talked about there, I think when things are more in person, there is a lot of research, uh, and we talked about this briefly, I think, during that episode, that shows if people are in person, there's more pro-social behavior because if being in being a toxic asshole online, you don't have nearly as many social consequences as if you're doing it in person. Obviously, you can't like walk up and like. A lot of people say you won't say that to my face, though, because uh, those consequences socially. Uh, and then also there's a lot more depersonalization when things are done online. So I'm hoping that with the advent of in-person stuff that um, we can continue to, continue to be supportive of people. But even outside of just the tournament sector, within game toxicity, uh, there's... A lot. It's really interesting um, how I think we discussed the different levels of toxicity and dialogue in League of Legends versus like when you're playing with your buddies of people that you don't know online. Like, is it okay to say, damn, you're shit uh, to your friends? A lot of times people have relationships where that's fine and you're just joshing around. But then if you say something like that in an online forum, it's the first time you're communicating with this individual that is very toxic and can be hurtful to people. Yeah, I, I've, um, through some of the work I've still continued to do, what I've noticed is that there is several, you know, online communities in, in spaces, um, that were not necessarily created during the pandemic. Like, I think I, like, through my work, I was able to learn about them because I had, you know, the, the pandemic mm-hmm. had popped yeah. off and I had time and all, and things changed for me. Um, what I've noticed is that there are definitely online spaces and well communities that you say that are simply just trying to get people to just be, how do you say, like kind, if not share a safe and comfortable space with one another, right? Without feeling antagonized in, in, in different kinds of ways or discriminated in different kinds of ways. Um, and those are through these online communities. Um, and yes, uh, Reza, I, I am very curious to see the ways in which, you know, like these online communities that could have been, you know, born before COVID or especially during COVID, will there be transitions for these particular online communities and will the cultural practices of those communities shift because it's physical, because mm-hmm. there's now this added uh, dimension of, of, of sociality or, or sociability uh, to accompany how they interact within their communities. Like I'm trying to think of like a particular one, like in in mind, but I think just generally I'm quite curious, you know, because it's not like online toxicity went away. I don't know if it includes yeah. because people were at, <laughs> like inside their homes for so long. So I have no <laughs> idea if it decreased, you know, but I do know it didn't go away. And I still know that people still have strong feelings in terms about, you know, uh, women in games and stuff like that. Or why does this matter in my games? Like as if certain 
as a, like as as is certain like social issues mm-hmm. are not attached to the games industry, which has never been true. Uh, you know, so. no, that that's something that I think like I found out about this like you know way later after we did the episode. We did I like what well, we did this episode back in 2020, and I found this I or I saw something about this like late 2021. But it's like there was uh there was some study that basically kind of confirmed or like found some sort of cor- no, I won't say confirmed I would say found some sort of correlation that basically misogynistic men who like flame women in games literally lose more so they're literally losers which was really interesting and really funny because again (laughs) it it ties into that like you know toxicity thing but also as javon just mentions like misogyny and like women's rights and things like that are are just much more uh social topics in a sense and you think it doesn't apply in games but again like you'll see many women talking about how they have such negative experiences online and etc and like there's many youtube montages about like oh toxic masculinity on games montage number 752 whatever yeah any minority gets basically hounded and bullied um and yeah i don't right yeah but yeah i just thought that it was a really interesting research article and again kind of almost back to episode two again like you know go look it up yourself see see what you think you know about it but yeah i thought it was a very interesting read from that it was (laughs) it was very funny to see the correlations between what's what in like certain parts of the data i I, (laughs) I want i want that to be explored a bit more you know yeah like i don't uh to be honest i don't remember the specifics of that research article in particular so i won't speak on that one but in all a lot of cases of like bullying you do see uh overarching kind of things where a lot of it is that about that power dynamic of like you feel like you're small and powerless so what do you get what do you do you go bully others because it makes you feel like you have control and like that you can stand on a pedestal above somebody else um so hopefully as i i think i have seen statistics like within covid things like domestic abuse have gone up unfortunately so i think it has maybe put people on edge over the course of the last couple of years and hopefully as kind of we transition uh fingers crossed out of uh as much of a risky environment um people can i guess calm down and be a little bit friendlier toward each other speaking of transitions you brought up the violence and i think that was another one (laughs) no uh had a very interesting conversation and it again also has a lot of tie into stuff that no, we all discussed, but uh when we discussed violence in video games in episode 10 again kind of bring back the point to number two again somewhat to hammer a point how important it was right but like it, like we said a lot of the media tends to misconstrue the information that is in that is on video game research which is tends to be around violence which has generally found no correlations yeah and yet you know we, we see violent behaviors and in a way i feel like i want to explore more on that where uh i, I just want to see if there's some kind of means of no more of a means of, I, I think we discussed it in the episode, but there, I think there was something about video games just gave it more of a open forum for people who were violently inclined to act yeah. out more violently. And what it, it, it like, you know, it wasn't that video games caused violence, but it's like, if you were violent in the first place, video games made it easier for you to 
you know, display that violent nature in a quote unquote acceptable way. And I want that to be explored more. That to me was like a big thing that I took away from that discussion because I hadn't seen that kind of research or data before. And that was a very interesting new point for me in the whole argument of um, violence in video games. Because, you know, as video game veterans, we've kind of been around the block in a sense on hearing that argument over and over and over and over. Every time, like, the media talks about video games, it's either uh, loot boxes, gambling tough, or it's violence in video games, typically. Um, And there have been so many studies over the course, like you mentioned, over the course of the years, as you've mentioned, that... um, Actual years, not the one point, like, seven, five years you think that this podcast has been on for (laughs) as years. Right, uh, like decades because a lot of that conversation started from the Columbine shootings in the nineties. So there've been like literal decades. And uh, one of my favorite research articles to point toward, I think it was a 2018 study by Oxford university where they measured things over the course of like 10 years for longitudinal effects of playing lots of violent video games. And they found no effect that playing games causes violent behavior. Um, and to your point, Eric, with the self-selection, um, if people already like violent things, they might tend to report that they play a lot of violent video games. But whenever those things come up, it's always in the specific... Uh, it, you always need to keep in context that with that phenomenon specifically, it's not that they play the games and then become violent as a result, but more so that of anything they can do with their time, they're already violent kind of personalities or have violent behavioral patterns. And so whenever they play video games, it ends up being more violent as well. Um, So yeah, TLDR, video games do not cause violence. Please, somebody, God. But hopefully we can move past this conversation and talk about other interesting things Um in the ether and that's not to say it's not an important topic it is very important to address that but it has been just addressed so many times sometimes it gets tiring insert stop stop it's already dead meme (laughs) yeah yeah to transition a, a little bit i think one of the things i've been thinking about is uh episode 12 uh work culture in the games industry because since we did that, I think it was like last year, like early 2021, so much has been discussed about workplace culture when it comes to Riot Games um, and Activision Blizzard. <laughs> uh, yeah, Activision Blizzard in particularly. And though we were talking about in terms of, you know, crunch and the amount of hours people have to, to put in, I think it's also... I don't think we touched on this as much, but I think it's also important to like to acknowledge that there's so many other things that needs to go into ensure that an environment feels safe, uh, healthy for folks to to do their job, mm-hmm. right? Um, that includes you know making sure that there are protocols, regulations put in place to ensure the the protection of not just women of course but of anyone that is working in the office environment and making sure that there are repercussions uh 
for folks that act out of line or do just egregious actions um, towards someone else's body, right? Um, into just, you know, the stories and the narratives that have been brought to the fore because these are not new. I want to make sure I put this on the record. Like, like the stories that we're hearing now are the ones that we're hearing publicly. More than likely, the victims at these different um, gaming studios have probably already aired out their grievance um, towards like their HR department or to other entities. Yeah. It's only recently where, you know, people have gained interest or voices have been uh, heard, I would say. Mm-hmm. Voices have been heard and therefore media picks up that and then here we go. Here's like this narrative and the story and in the ways in which you hear not only just, you know, your, 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 I don't want to say common, but like the average employee does something and not persecuted for that action is one thing, but to know that at the very tippy top, right. Uh, of the, of the food chain, it's both, you know, it's, it's just very, very, it's just fucked up. To, and it's not even unfortunate. It's just very fucked up. Like, I can't put it any other way. And so, yeah. um, not and to say that I don't want to talk, not to say that, like, crunching game developers is not important because obviously we created a whole episode about that. But I just want to say that, like, part of workplace culture is also these other things, right? Ensuring, you know, people can do their work and feel safe at the exact same time. Like no one signs up to be like sexually harassed. That's not a yeah. form. You see what I'm saying? So and it's good that a lot of these stories are coming to light because whenever there's improper environments, uh, a lot of times in the past, stuff like that just got swept under the rug. And I'm mm-hmm. sure there's still tons of instances, instances of that happening. But I think increasingly over the last few years, there have been more, more problems being brought to light so that now hopefully there's at least a, a reduction in all that messed up stuff happening. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, but I also of course want to highlight that there are amazing gaming studios out there, like institutions out there that are doing this, you know, kind of work. And there's also been, I forget the name of them, but there's a gaming studio, I think based in Canada that recently became like the first studio in North America to um, have a union. Right. Um, Which has been a big push uh, in the games industry for a very long time. Uh, And so, and they're a small studio, but to know that a studio nonetheless took it upon themselves to actually go through the, 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 the process of unionizing um, is it's, it's an amazing thing. And it's, that gives me hope for, you know, other changes and, and, and other, uh, inst- other gaming studios to follow suit, right? Because everyone, you know, in, in, in the games industry is very, like, knows that how volatile the space is, right? Um, so to have some kind of, like, A, not just financial security, but to also know that, yeah, like, if your gaming studio is kind of like acting out of line, there is, you know, swift and immediate action um, uh, to, you know, I would say uh, to a lot for those. 
And so, yeah, so that's what I want to say. Like, I don't want to always mm-hmm. view, like, the games industry is woefully negative. There's a lot of positive things out there. And to hear that a gaming studio, you know, put it upon themselves to, like, you know, unionize, I think that's, I think that's amazing. Yeah, I think it's great that there are uh, more resources becoming available so that people can be paid what they're owed and make sure that they don't have terrible working conditions and stuff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. The And in talking about kind of people that have, that are involved with games as their career, um, not on... Aside from the game development side, uh, we did also talk a lot about the building like a streaming community. And right. if, and a lot of times people like stream as not maybe their primary source of income, but it is uh, a profession for a lot of people. And so I thought it was really cool also in episode 14 that we were able to touch on when we're looking at kind of viewing things from a lens of if if you're kind of building out a community of people, how do you make sure that you are able to kind of do so successfully make sure that you're creating a positive environment for everyone involved in that uh, in episode 14? Yeah, that was with Sunabu and Cobes, correct? Correct. Yeah, yeah. And again, we're really appreciative of having those two on. Um, one of the things that I, I guess became curious even more so um this is how you know i've been in the pandemic too long because the word fatigue comes up a lot now <laughs> like, i'm tired <laughs> yeah um uh one of the things i was interested in is you know did we or should we have discussed maybe fatigue in online community building right because to be a, a twitch streamer and you know it you're trying to get viewers, right? And one of the things you do, if you get enough, enough viewers, then hopefully you can form like this group, you know, and then you can like, hopefully it comes bigger and bigger and bigger. And then you have to start to manage things, right? I think uh, Sunabu had mentioned about like, we were talking about like toxicity. Like we're talking about like, if someone is like flaming your chat or something like that, like, what do you do? Like, what are, what are your protocols like to ban them? And she had mentioned that, well, yeah, like I ban people. It's only happened a few times, but if I don't ban them without justification of the banning, they will then just tag anyone else associated like with, with the streamer um, to then get an explanation. Um, and so she typically, if she's going to ban someone gives explanation on, why the banning's there and then go from there. So that made me think about, oh, what are some other things that you have to, I know we touched upon it, several things, but it's just like, okay, like, are there moments where you're just like, when do you get that sense of, okay, I'm, I'm kind of just burnt out. Like I'm, like I'm, like I'm tired. And what does that mean? Like, what is fatigue in, in this sense? Is it because you're playing the games too much? Is it because you're playing the games and it's it's community things? I'm sure it's, multifaceted but i'm i'm just curious i feel like that's you know that opens up another avenue to explore potentially because i think we always view streaming as something where it's like oh hey we did this in order to kind of like make a monetary gain or in order to specifically you know craft this community so i get more viewers and things like this but 
I feel like, yeah, that would lead to the burnout. But like maybe for those who are doing this more for just more, lack of a better word, wholesome reasons, like they just wanted more friends to play with. They just didn't really know anything. Like I know one streamer that uh, both Sundabu and Kobes also know. She's actually a Genshin Impact uh, streamer and she's a partner with Twitch now. But if I recall correctly, she didn't ever... She didn't ever play games before she started playing like in Genshin and everything. Um, and yeah, so like she never had done any of that uh, stuff before, and she just wanted to learn the game. She just wanted to be a part of something and like get help with playing, kind of just like you know make friends and everything. And that's how she found a lot of success as a streamer. And so I, I don't really think like any of those uh, streamers got burnt out per se. I feel like if anything, I've hear burnout more from people who are trying to you know make it big as a streamer because that's the end goal but like those who are just like i'm just here to just play with my friends they seem to just do it because it's not even a grind kind of thing you know in the same way that we don't find playing a game to be a like playing games in general to be a grind because that's what we enjoy it's the same respect for them like they stream and they enjoy it first and foremost as like just a hobby that they're doing not so much the goal point but uh but i think yeah that like that kind of there's like again that like there's two sides to that and and so i think like you know for maybe the exploration of like oh do they get burned out it's like yeah do the people who uh who stream for that kind of like more fun do they get burned out by this that's something i think you're right is like a very interesting thing to explore i just think that in that respect of you know the fatigue and all that it's just it's not just a black and white oh fatigue of you know, being burnt out. Yeah. It's like, you know, what it's, are you burnt out by? And it's natural for like, you know, people's hobbies to just change over time. Mm-hmm. Um, even if, but it'd be curious. I haven't really seen a lot of stuff that dives into people that were streaming very like regularly, like going into why they decided to stop streaming, streaming, whether it was like a sociological aspect of like maybe interacting with other community members or stuff was like disincentivize them. Or maybe it was just, the other aspects of streaming of which we covered a lot in episode 14. Uh, but yeah, that, that'd be something pretty curious to dive into in the future. This isn't very related, but another episode I know that was that we kind of, I appreciated because we were able to dive really kind of specifically into one concept was the psychological process of conditioning folks. So I know we related it very specifically to the fighting game community, but it kind of translates to uh, all kind of behavioral patterns and video game competition in general. But in episode 17, just kind of going through how you can use psychological principles to basically become better at your games. I think honestly, that was one of my favorite episodes and like kind of tying back to like another previous one, uh, of show don't tell right because like you said it's how we applied psychology to games because Mm -hmm. again a lot of people don't really think that hey game video games are academic or anything and I, i just find it really fascinating that you can take academics and apply it to games in various ways even if it's just like again like you know a textbook definition of operant versus classical conditioning what are those and see how it's applied in games i want to i want to see that and uh, and that's again the show don't tell kind of thing where uh and that's like a big strength of games and show don't tell i feel gets a lot of its power from 
psychology and sociology because those are things that are more experienced and interpreted by the mind and you know, the heart that are either the way you think, the way you behave, a, a feeling of connectivity to like community and culture, all that kind of stuff. Just being able to dig out and vividly experience those yeah. feelings, thoughts, or anything is just something so interestingly like surreal with video games. And so because of those applications and the way they interact and how we can expand those through academia. And that's just always been the thing that made me the most interested in, those, in these kind of topics and what I love to explore whenever we are discussing any of these given topics. Yeah. And it's also really cool that not only do video games allow us to kind of experience that firsthand, um, a lot of the stuff we talk about is pretty general, but you can't, if you're like listening to the concept, you can't just get online and like do it immediately. But conditioning in like training people to do a certain thing, or when we uh, talked about show, don't tell in episode nine, um, you can like immediately after talking about this with someone or listening to the, this podcast, you can like load up a game, load up an online match and like try the concept and see how it pans out. So I thought that was a really cool um, connection there. Uh, and then one of the more recent topics that we broached with uh, some of our, a couple of our previous guests recently is looking at how, in game development, how we make sure that cultures are represented properly, and then also kind of exploring examples of different games that have uh, represented different types of cultures and ethnicities. So in episode 21, for instance, we kind of talked about how being from different ethnicities and have different backgrounds can influence how the characters you see in games um uh, is represented and then also how developers need to make sure that when they're kind of approaching these topics that they're doing so in a respectful way that is both inclusive but not stereotyping yeah and shout out to uh latoya peterson at glow up games uh I, I that's one of like that's one of my like favorite episodes well, i mean one of many that we we've done uh yeah it's from listening to her i think for me when i was like when we were chatting with her that moment where i was just like oh i didn't think about that which is you know talking about um some of these like subtle nuances of like okay here is a thing related to hbcu like culture right that i want to put into a game and then if you don't have your own staff who can also identify as black, but they're not aware of that particular like custom or, or that phrase or that terminology in the game, then it's kind of just like, okay, well, should this still be in the game or would this make the game be that much more special for those folks who align to that particular community who would understand that reference and to still have those things. So I thought that was like pretty cool where, yeah, like you don't necessarily have to agree on everything, but, it should be clearly stated um, to those involved on, okay, this is where I'm getting this from. And I think these particular folks uh, would appreciate 
this um because i think that's pretty cool and also just that whole conversation was also about stakeholders right uh latoria's um yeah globe games is like in partnership with uh hbo like this license right so what does it mean to have something that kind of has its own universe right and that was your job to try and take that universe and do with what you want with it within a you know, particular boundaries or, 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 or means. So that whole conversation, there was really any part of that was my favorite. Like it was just so much of, I was having a great time. Yeah. Uh, it is so cool to hear experiences of people that have actually been through those processes where <clears throat> I claim to know some stuff about game development and you know, <laughs> we read stories about like work culture and stuff, mm-hmm. but being able to hear Latoya's experience or uh, other areas where like when we talked to John Diaz, he has been, he's worked on a number of games as well. Um, just hearing that firsthand uh, knowledge of, yeah, well, this is how it actually is, was is super cool. And I, I feel really lucky to kind of have been a part of, of those experiences. I love that you mentioned John DS because I still remember when he was talking about like how it was his job to like program like the bounciness of cars and stuff like that like, <laughs> to simulate having yeah. sex with a prostitute. It comes off of a break. It comes that, back that, in. that was definitely one of like the golden nuggets of like a behind the scenes. <laughs> yeah. You know, like like that's the kind of stuff that you go and watch like those like old movie documentaries about it's like oh the commentary from the directors <laughs> it's like why would you watch a movie with the, the commentator with the director commentary it's like this kind of funny ass shit is why <laughs> but, but i um but and so and all we've you know like reflected on i hey i'm very proud of us let's acknowledge us okay let's do that for a second let's acknowledge us because yeah uh, definitely I'm, worth it yeah, uh, no. most definitely worth it. So I'm I'm proud of us and how far we've come and just the viewership, uh, you know, people who engage with us. So that's been beautiful. And so in thinking, what are some of maybe the topics that we wish to touch upon this year? Just throwing things, just throwing things out there. Like, is there anything that comes to mind? Well, some of the ones that we've mentioned, like <laughs> while talking, I think are interesting where looking at people that are maybe former streamers, I don't, I doubt there's like uh, academic research done about it yet. Cause streaming specifically has really only blown up in the last couple of years versus a lot of gaming research. Uh, the gaming concepts originated like decades ago, but I'd be curious to kind of see what, uh, what that entails and kind of what people's experiences are at different, at different stages of like, scale of their stream for that but i think there's a lot we could touch back on yeah i think like these topics kind of almost present themselves you know it's like we very rarely have to ever plan that far ahead in terms of what we want to talk about because again i really want to hammer home the point but it's like this kind of stuff exists everywhere and it's so easy to just walk across an idea or a topic when we want when we just get there i think you're actually just thinking maybe even like mental health right like we know we were talking about like Mm -hmm. the pan javon was mentioning like the fatigue and everything and i was thinking like yeah you know what about how the effects of like you know being isolated all this like how does that affecting our mental health and Mm -hmm. how is gaming either helping that or how is the Mm -hmm. mental health affecting gaming like mental health is also a very broad discussion we could have many different 
topics and conversations about that. And I think that's, that's a direction we could potentially go, but you know, but just like those topics in general, again, will just crop up and write themselves. I yeah. feel almost. And, yeah. It, and also when we cover a topic, it'll be like a couple years later, like, Oh, uh, what's this? There's either a new way of engaging or like new information. So a lot of times I don't think we've done like a repeat episode to revisit it yet, but that might be interesting, especially with something like playing during COVID. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we've we've definitely been a lot more general, I think. But again, like part of the reason why we had this recap episode is because some of the things that we were being very general on can t- end up needing more elaboration and in a way, a lot of different nuances that can be explored, et cetera. And so, I, again, I think that's something where as we progress and as we dive deeper and explore our and expand our own knowledge about these various topics as we become more versed and less general i think so are our discussions and our topics yeah yeah and i'm always a sucker for like a good like q a i love like chatting with with guests on particular things and so um we would love to of course have more guests touch on different avenues as it relates to you know games um sociology of games psychology of games because for me i get a lot out of engaging with others who have been in those spaces or work a that or like who been in those spaces work those professions that i'm trying to talk about or explore in, or in some kind of way yeah so i i'm excited to just talk to more people that's all honestly what i want i'm decided to talk to more people yeah all right well 20 here's the 2022 bunch more fun episodes to come yep looking forward to it and hope to see you all there yeah again i'm reza aka sprint speed i'm javon aka j stoney and i'm eric aka hysteric and we'll talk to you guys next time